0: Hi there, thanks for downloading the Fantasy Animation Podcast. As always, brought to you by the Fantasy Animation Research Network, which you can find at fantasy-animation.org. If you have a quick five seconds, it would be really helpful if you could get on whatever platform you've downloaded this from and give us a quick star rating and also maybe a review of a couple of sentences, whether that be on Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever I'm supposed to be calling it these days. Um, It really helps to spread the word and generate word of mouth. For now, enjoy the show.
1: Begins in this
0: world, on this side of the video screen, and plunges into a micro universe that lives and breathes beyond the boundaries of imagination. The world of Tron.
1: Hello, everyone. And welcome to the latest episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast with me, Chris Holliday.
0: And me, Alex Sargent. Now we've got an interesting movie lined up,
1: I think, today. We're looking at Tron, so a film from 1982. I think a lot of our listeners might be more familiar with the more recent sequel, Tron Legacy, from 2010. Although not that familiar,
0: because I don't think that did that partic- that well, did it, at the box office?
1: Uh, no, I think it was more a nostalgic look back at this film that yeah, we are yeah. we are looking at today. So, uh, Tron, a film from 1982, an American science fiction, come action adventure, come space fantasy film.
0: Sure, yeah, and
1: cult classic. Probably we should throw into yes, the mix as we well. Yes, we often use the word classic. To talk about the kind of some of the movies that we talk about on the podcast, yeah. um, it is a classic, and hopefully in the next forty minutes we'll figure out why. But the <laughs> Just film, how classical it is, how classic <laughs> it is. So this is a film that is about computers. It's about digital technology. It's about computer graphics, um, and so it's a really nice way to think about digital technology from, I guess, the inside of a computer. It takes us into a computer, uh, and actually from memory, I mean, I thought the film only took place a little bit in a computer, but actually a lot of the film takes place inside a kind of computer wire, wire network circuit kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot more computery than I remember, but um, it, it is, let's say, a classic.
0: Yes, and it's, and it's about computers both on and off screen, right? Yes. It, it's, it's a film made during the sort of uh, early stages of computer animation, as far yes. as I understand. Well, the early stages of computer Technology as a sort of more mainstream thing. Absolutely. Uh, Video games, it's interested in video games. Um, and the rise of video game culture. Yeah. Um. And so I guess you must have a lot to talk about this week, Chris. I do,
1: so don't you dare walk on over here with your animation talk, leave that to me. Yeah. You've got the fantasy, we'll get to you, Yeah. Okay. even though you come first before the Slash. So
0: what strikes you immediately that's sort of the headlines of this movie? The
1: headlines of this film are that computers, in this case, being used to render themselves. So I'm very interested in the first wave of which this film is an example, a first wave of films that use computer graphics to render computers or render the inside of computers or render virtual reality uh, and there's lots of things around the construction of digital images so we see screens, we see wireframes, we see data, we see pixels, we see code, we see virtual reality, we see circuitry, we see LEDs, we see simulations the film is sort of deconstructing and reconstructing digital technology at the same time so it's one of an early cluster of movies throughout the 80s and then into the kind of mid 90s that are about computers so the films themselves are using digital technology and computer graphics to render what cyberspace might look like um from within a computer as you said that was a relatively new kind of technology so and I feel like I say this a lot, but I'm going to say it again: that the film is really important with regards to the histories of animation, and it comes up a lot in in kind of chronology. It's 1982, the year of the film's release, a particular moment in American cinema where audiences practitioners actually and animators were kind of looking at this movie thinking wow this is what we can do with computer graphics and that really sort of pave, p- paves the way for the next 10 15 years really so um yeah it's one of a number of important movies in the 80s that deal with computers and digital technologies but arguably one of the first so that's why i'm interested in yeah what are you interested in
0: well i guess from my perspective as the, as the fantasist of the podcast, I'm interested in the way this taps into a rising subculture of genre fans um, that have been emerging from the sort of mid 20th century onwards. So uh, re- we now live in the world of, of mainstream geekdom, but the, the start of that culture that has now sort of taken over the mainstream is emerging from about the 50s, 60s onwards. Um, by the 70s, it's become quite noticeable within pop culture. Uh, Fantasy, science fiction, horror—things uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about—and the distinctions between the two of them. Um, and 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 the mainstream studios by the end of the 70s and early 80s are starting to tap into that. So this is obviously 1982. This is uh, five years after Star Wars. Yeah. Um, it's also um, uh, around the time the Disney Corporation are experimenting with their own identity so at the similar time you've got this you've got a great big high fantasy adventure called Dragon Slayer that they made uh, a film called Return to Oz which is a sort of very nightmarish sequel to uh, The Wizard of Oz um, they're playing with these sort of uh, genres these the rise of geek genres um, and also tapping into video games yeah this is the rise of video game culture yeah. and game culture in general dungeons and dragons is a massive hit in the 70s and 80s uh video games like ultima and and dungeon master are are starting to emerge here and so this is really trying to tap into that youth culture and sell them that which they already know through new technologies and new ways of of filmmaking and the film obviously wasn't ultimately successful at the time um and i think there are reasons for that because it's um a bit of a head scratcher i mean i'm not going to say what
1: you said during i am in a minute okay so about three quarters of the i'm just going to tantalize yeah. three quarters of the way into the film in fact even more towards the end yeah, yeah, yeah. you made a noise the <laughs> and then i looked at you and then you said something but i, well, I,
0: I said i'd literally lost the plot yeah uh, and i think this film literally loses the plot on, on numerous occasions but uh, but it but it certainly uh, it's it's weirdness is part of its charm right and that's yeah. why i said cult classic, I think the word cult might be one, because this is definitely one of those movies that has yeah. stood the test of time because of its appeal yeah. to a certain marginal but ne- but vocal fan base.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm uh, thinking about how the film was received, and, and it sort of, it, it, it was received well or well enough, but it. I mean, I don't know, it's, it's visually dazzling and has a lot of... Um, kind of electronic imagery and and part of its sort of selling point is very much its visual effects actually um, that are fascinating to look at and kind of intriguing in the way that the film sets them up uh, to be effects the way that the film brackets certain moments within its narrative as marvellous moments and we talked a little bit actually about wonder um mm-hmm. And so I think there's the way that the film sets up its visual effects to, to sort of be consumed and enjoyed, um, on the same on the same token, you have that tension perhaps between spectacle and kind of narrative. It, uh, at times, I didn't really know what was going on narratively, but hey, it looked great. Um, and actually still looks great. As you said, it's, it sort of stands up um, it, early 80s to now, digital technology and visual effects have um, improved if you know, if that's the right word or certainly accelerated in a way that makes them persuasive and, and um, convincing and able to hold a mirror up to organic life etc etc um, what's interesting about this film is that it doesn't try to do that what it, it's interested in in rendering and animating um, and kind of reflecting and representing technology what does technology look like what does digital technology look like so this is the antithesis of, of sort of natural Um, photorealist realistic imagery this is the exact opposite and i think for me part of the pleasure is it's giving a sort of it's trying to represent the unrepresentable what does what does digital technology and what could it look like on screen as you said it's five years after star wars and crucially three years after moonraker
0: so um let's try and figure out the plot the plot this uh, will be a this will be an exercise of futility but yeah Fine. All right, let's try and recognise the problem. I said to Chris off-air before we started that this was going to be his job. So, yeah, so you uh, can so, start. <laughs> so off you go. Okay. Um. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, my, the first little note, and
1: we've just watched it, so the yeah. first little note I've got is um, about the kind of title sequence and how the film sets up its, I guess, its equilibrium before it it takes us mm. into these kind of fantasy, this fantasy world, if you like. Um, so the film sets up by taking us into... Um, what looks like a kind of uh, a wireframe model. It it seems to take us into kind of circuitry. So the title sequence of the film um, shows us lights and it shows us uh, kind of uh, bites and it shows us technological imagery. Uh, But then from there, we cut to a bar. And I'm going to say a live-action bar, a real real bar, um, Flynn's bar, um, and people that are playing a kind of cycle game, like a video game. Uh, And that opening sequence cuts between people playing a video game to us inside the video game. Back out again, into the game again, out and back. And and so suddenly we're in the game and we are riding these kind of light cycles, these kind of quite iconic light cycles that have made an appearance in a couple of, they appear uh, in an episode of Family Guy, actually, as a kind of spoof, and they also appear in the opening sequence of uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. So another film that deals with what does technology look like, but from a different perspective. So the opening of the film, Moves between users, a group of people that are playing computer games, a particular video arcade game.
0: And so the users are sort of humans Human in Human players, world. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: the, the players. Um, um, and it moves from users into the program itself. So yeah. we, we get to know a few of the characters, compound interest programs, um, we get to know A few of the kind of characters that will become a little bit more important later on. It reminded me a lot of kind of the Wreck It Ralph movies, if you like, but also stuff like Toy Story, the player and the played. Yeah. And you get that sort of part of the pleasure of the film is taking us into a kind of cyber world or a cyberspace. And that's really, really the opening kind of sequence. And and I
0: guess so. I guess what's happening there is is twofold, right? In terms of it's quite a disorientating sequence, I think, Um, because you're flipping as a viewer between. Uh, a, a supposedly real world you know a, a representational world, the world of yeah. of, of 1982 yes um, where where um, there are real actors and it's all shot uh, for photographed yeah uh, and then you what's particularly disorienting is you then move to these sort of these fantasy spaces these um, other worlds yeah, you know I think at one point we'll have to address whether they're fantasy or not but but other worlds we'll start with for now um, that are rendered differently. Yes. in terms of they are rendered through computer graphics largely well a mix of computer graphics and um, photo and and photography yeah. yeah well
1: actually that that so that brings me to the sort of first kind of key moment yeah. for me is that is a, a title that appears on screen that says meanwhile in the real world yeah um and this means lots of different things and we have the first shot of the real jeff bridges um one of his early kind of roles um so he's a computer programmer come hacker Um, we don't really know his backstory but he plays Kevin Flynn and we get a shot of him at his computer and the title card just reads meanwhile in the real world so the job of that title card is to immediately establish a kind of equilibrium that the real we are to take as photographs Mm. uh, and the fantasy is something that plays out are we saying technologically or um, uh, in terms of I don't know, well, the, well, the virtual. Well,
0: what it establishes, and I think, in terms of the fantasy rhetoric going on yeah. here, is that uh, this is this is what Farrah Mendelssohn would call a portal quest fantasy. Um, and I'm not sure this category has come up on the podcast before, but basically um, it's it's a it's a almost cross between the two ones we have talked about, which are uh, a primary world and a secondary world fantasy. So a primary world fantasy is Mary Poppins, things that are magical come into our world, a secondary... Um, World fantasy would be something like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. We are in a magical world. Um, this has two spaces. It has a world of 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 make believe, yep. um, a world that we aren't meant to be assuming is real, and a world that is real. And the rhetoric is the way one slips into the other, and and plays with it, right? So it's a portal quest because basically we spend, because we have this dialogue between one space and another space set up, we constantly view the other space from the perspective of our own. We are constantly learning about the world as the main character Flynn learns about the world, and yeah. that's the rhetoric of the film. It's isn't isn't this strange? Isn't this wondrous? Isn't this um, otherworldly?
1: So I have a few kind of questions. I guess one is mm-hmm. is about traditions of portal quest fantasy. Obviously, yeah. if Anderson's talking about portal quest fantasies. Yeah. Um, I guess Narnia. Narnia is isn't, a great is example? A example. Wizard of Oz is a good right, example, right. and
0: this has a few Wizard of Oz references in it. Right. Not not perhaps the most obvious thing being the casting where characters in the real world are played by the same people as characters in the, in the, that, yeah. in, the in the in the magic world. Okay. Um, there's my obligatory wizard of oz reference right, out of check the way. That off. Yep. Uh, but actually the, the, the a key example a slightly confusing one would be Lord of the Rings okay. because although Lord of the Rings is all set in a secondary world the rhetoric of it, because that's the key thing. It's not. It's not necessarily the story arc. It's what the fantasy is doing. The whole rhetoric of Lord of the Rings is you're seeing it from the perspective of Frodo. Frodo doesn't know anything about the wider world of the yep. Shire, so he's spending the entire movie going through it, learning about Middle yeah. Earth. And we're doing the same thing here. We are spending the entire movie going through the world of of what what is the world called? It's not the world of. Tron, so the it's world the Encom of Encom, uh, the world of the Grid. Yes, uh, learning about it as we. As we experience
1: it. But well, it's interesting because that immediately creates a distinction between. Fantasy and reality that mm-hmm. plays out kind of technologically. One is one is digital or or rendered through computer graphics, and therefore must be kind of I'm not going to say fake, but must be fantasy. And the other world is real because this is the world in which the real Jeff Bridges is playing a computer game. Um, but at the same time, both of those worlds are equally as fictional e- as each other. Sure. I cannot visit either of those worlds, um, and so this is something that has sort of preoccupied um, people writing about animation: is how do we qualify animation? I guess in this instance, is fantastic fantasy nature. And we shouldn't necessarily attribute animation's um, level of artificiality or fakery with the fact that it's animation per se. I cannot um, run through and visit the real James Bond because he doesn't exist. That is a, he, he is equally as fictional as the world of Encom in some senses.
0: Yes, but I, I guess actually what the Portal Quest fantasy yeah. does is it exaggerates that difference yes. because what an immersive fantasy, a, a story set completely within a secondary world, that actually has the effect of trying to normalize the yeah. fantasy. Because in, that, in, a, in a secondary quest, characters don't run around going, oh, isn't this strange? Because it isn't strange to them, it's just the rules of the world they happen to live in. Here, the film is constantly doing that. So it's, it's almost pushing the computer around, making sure we yeah. hold it at a distance.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and um, that does, I think that plays out visually, obviously, yeah. the way that the, the cyberspace is rendered kind of through this electronic. Quite um, neon. Yeah. I'm just going to use the word neon a lot because it's very neon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like this idea that the film never tries to normalize the fantasy. It always keeps it at a distance. It always says that's the <laughs> fantasy in which there is a kind of lack of consequence. Characters can die. You can respawn in the way that computer game characters often can and video game characters can. Um, but at the same time, in this world, there are con- the, the real world. There are there are kind of consequences and
0: rules and the, the police. And, and, the, and the the I don't distance. know what that does in terms of what you were talking about in terms of representing a computer. Yes. Because I think there's a real interesting paradox going on, on with this movie in that on the one hand it's trying to visualize, to represent the unrepresentable or visualise the unvisualisable, yeah. get inside the workings of a computer and somehow give, give a sense of how yeah. it works. Yeah. But at the same time it's constantly saying this isn't how it works. Right, right, right. Yeah? Because it's a fantasy yeah. space.
1: Yes, so I suppose it's trying to balance... It's the, it's the absurdity of if computers could look like this, they would look like the way that they're represented in the film so um, lots of kind of uh, kind of geometric shapes and and I'll go into a, a little bit of the of the um, uh, the geography if I can yeah. of the of the virtual space but then you're right that at the same time it, it creates these real world. so th- the idea is that the film sets up this idea that Jeff bridges is a hacker that's playing with this he's part arcade. Um, kind of game manager, plays a few mm-hmm. video games, but at the same time he was previously fired from this company, ENCOM, because he was kind of getting too close to the truth. And you know, if cinema's taught us anything, is that you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Um, and then ultimately the film is a sort of him trying to find a document, Kevin Finn's trying to find a document that proves that he is effectively the heir to the company because he invented a particular um, kind of piece of technology or, or in some cases a, a series of video, video games, arcade games. So they then break, him and his two friends break into the video game um, space and, com, uh, and ultimately inadvertently Kevin Flynn gets sucked into the game yes. and there's a really beautiful sequence actually where he's broken down into a series of polygons yeah, and yeah. kind of geometric shapes and then kind of bit by bit he's disintegrated and dissolved into the computer mm-hmm. and then the majority of the film then takes place inside the computer where you have Kevin Flynn who is a user, but has been sucked into a computer game, running around trying to find this piece of data, whilst at the same time in the real world, um, two characters, um, Laura and Andrew are, Andrew? Alan, Alan. Um, Two characters, Laura and Alan, are playing and trying to hack into the computer game and their avatars are also in the game. So there's a real kind of sense of doubling, it's just that Wizard of Oz style.
0: There's also an odd little uh, sense of whether we are asked to take what we're seeing literally, I would suggest in that in that opening title sequence and then throughout, yeah. there is a question throughout this film as to whether what we are watching is a real fantasy land that exists inside the computer, or whether it's a way of representing yeah. or the almost the imagination that one brings to a computer. So yeah. you know, you know. Are we what? There's this bit at the beginning where Jeff Bridges' character Flynn is hacking into the computer, and what we get is a visual visual representation yes. by Jeff Bridges in the computer world driving around and trying to hack into the yes. computer in a slightly more sort of action packed manner. Yeah. And there's a suggestion that what we're seeing is not something that's literally happening, but. What? Kind of hypothetical. Yeah, what is happening whilst he's typing on the computer. Yeah. yeah? yeah. And the same thing true of, of, say, Tron versus Alan. Alan is. Upstairs, trying to hack into the computer. So this character called Tron is running around in the in the in the in the world of, of the computer. So it's a very sort of like puppet puppet
1: like relationship. Well, do you know
0: Do you know what I think it is? I think it's a fantasy space for people who use computers but don't understand how they work. Yeah. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean that this isn't a film for ha- this isn't a film that tries to make to demystify what a computer does. Yeah. There are ways of doing sort of this unrepresentable thing in animation that but... informs and educates things like sort of walking with dinosaurs yeah. or all that kind of stuff. Um, but what um, what this is doing is sort of representing the wonder of computers, I would argue. Yeah. That thing, that maybe this is just me and my technophobia coming through here, but that feeling you get when you switch on your computer and you have absolutely no idea how it works. I don't know how my computer makes word processors or how it's recording this podcast right now or this kind of stuff, but I know it's doing it. yeah. And, and it gives a fantasy world to that kind of wonder of how is this box doing these things. So are we back to fantasy's
1: relationship to metaphor and allegory, sure. and these kinds of, the mm-hmm. way the way to represent something is through kind of metaphorical language or rhetorical, mm-hmm. and then we're back to animation, we're back to the kind of the rhetoric of what does information, and actually so more recent films like Wreck-It Ralph yeah. and Ralph Breaks the Internet try to try to do this by making the internet seem kind of uh uh, comfy cuddly um, and a space of exploration effectively a playground here it plays a little bit more it plays out more like a battleground like you see a lot more this is a space of kind of conflict and people people wrestling with each other and fighting with each other and and um, yeah I think it is a it's a fantasy space what what does what does the world of virtual reality and artificial intelligence and data look like what does code look like and, and it, how can it be narrativized and
0: it speaks of a I would say a nineteen eighty-two culture of newness of and and concern yet wonder over new technology. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about other movies like Terminator or Blade Runner that yeah. are all out at similar time, which have this exact same paradox in them and they're trying to show off new technology by making narratives that are ultimately about the evils of technology.
1: Well Blade Runner is the same year, and I'm you know, wondering whether whether there's an interesting parallel between or certainly an early eighties moment where as you said, there's a sort of tension between mystification and demystification. We know full well that that's not what the internet, yeah, well, yeah, or not yeah. even the internet, I should say, um, that's not what technology, the computer, um, a hard drive looks like. That's not what memory and RAM look like. But it's how it looks like in the in the film,
0: and perhaps in our imaginations as we struggle to understand what it is and how it works. Yeah, right? I've not
1: thought of the I've not thought of the representation of the computers or the activity within the computers as being. Potentially kind of subjective to, for the users, you know, that you're in your own video game world and you, yeah. you think about what processes go on that you can't see. Um, and that's where the animation takes over and allows us to represent that's the un- what, unrepresentable.
0: Yeah, and, and as, as I say, in that this world is both wondrous and exciting and new, but also terrifying and dystopic. And uh, it sort of plays, with, as I say, it's a film about, you know, an evil computer trying to take over the world. Yes. Um, whilst also celebrating the. Loveliness of computers. So I've, I'm. I'm
1: thinking the lo- on that note of the loveliness of the computers. Um, it's if, a great note. That's a great note <laughs> yeah. because God, I'm hoping you were going to bring that up. Yeah, the loveliness um, of the computer. But the idea of sort of
0: was not that a, a 1950s British what? kitchen sink drama? What the loveliness of the, lo- the loveliness of the, of the g- dressing gown the loveliness <laughs> of the personal computer? Yeah, um. Saturday night and Sunday morning. <laughs>
1: um, no, but something. Uh, I I don't know much about video games, um, but I know enough Mm -hmm. for the purposes of this. Um, The rise of kind of, I guess, computers being used for information and research and science, and same with digital imagery, you know, being used having a kind of scientific origin that you still get today with three D ultrasounds and things like that, Mm -hmm. um, and computers for play. And there's a moment in the film where you see, there's a scene in what looks like a laboratory, and they're talking about something these two programmers that are dressed in white coats are talking about something that they've discovered and they're able to um, kind of deliver a particular piece of technology in a particular kind of way. Um, and that treatment of technology and, and the wonder of that technology is, is um, compared with Jeff Bridges. So Flynn, this video came arcade that's populated by people almost exclusively under the age of about 22. Um, and the kind of youthful yeah. exuberance of people um, playing video games, and boy,
0: does it, it get video game culture right. Yeah, abs- well, absolutely. <laughs> he, he jokes because there's this lovely parodic scene where Jeff Bridges is playing a computer game. And there's literally like this crowd of like jocks and um, yeah, yeah. cheerleaders jumping up and down, watching him wooing. Um, that's not, you know, I'd that, say so that is very much a 1982. What? are computer game's cool? I guess they are. This is what must be what the teenagers are doing is cheering on people in arcade games. Well, <laughs> like are so- <they're> sports stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, that he's become a celebrity yeah. because of his ability to navigate a console. Yeah, yeah, yeah which um, is sort of like not what they ended up being, right? So um, the late
1: 70s, early 80s is, I guess, the, the reframing of, of computers in terms of kind of consoles and... Yeah. And, and personal uh, use, right? Yeah, so Sega, Nintendo, Atari, um, it's very much, this would, be a, this would be a good comparison to something like... Um, kind of Wreck-It Ralph the way it talks about arcade culture and video game culture Mm. again I don't know too much about it but um, what I think is interesting in the film is how it uses emergent digital technology to, to speak to to speak to a kind of boom, I guess, in, in video game culture in the 19, 1980s. And that allows the film to be placed on a kind of broader historical trajectory of visual ah. effects in Hollywood. Um, which... I'd, I'd like
0: to hear more, because I've got to be honest, I got lost in terms of what I was looking at a lot of this <laughs> film. And I think you might be able to help unpack that for me. Uh, we haven't quite got to the grid yet, though. So maybe before we get to the grid, we should just set up the narrative stakes... Okay. Before, before they are hastily tossed aside in favour of a series yeah. of set pieces. but L- um, Yes. Uh, so we have this Flynn. He's trying to become... He's trying to find the, the sort of... Yeah, he's the, been sucked he's, into the game. Well, he's, he's been sucked into the game because he's looking for basically the bit of evidence that the company have stolen his idea, yeah. for want of a better term. And his friends are helping him, but he's been sucked into the game. So he arrives Frodo-like, Dorothy-like... Um, into the magical world. So this allows him and by proxy the
1: audience to experience and learn about the conditions of what makes NCOM an environment. So who's in charge and what the... uh, And this this goes back to your point about doubling that what the film does is it sets up a series of dichotomies and comparisons between the world in the video game and the world outside. So there's some nice parallels. One, as you said, through kind of characterizations, which, which goes back to Wizard of Oz. Um, so characters that play real life characters or human characters, users in the real world of the film, um, become um, kind of characters. Uh, I don't want to say the word avatar, because James Cameron's ruined that for all of us. Yeah, he'll but, probably sue us
0: if you say it more than once, Chris. Yeah. So, does that mean um, I've got
1: to wipe off this blue face paint? <laughs> um, so, just a gag for the Avatar fans there. Um, but it sets the up... The Navi f- out then, there. Yeah. Um, so it sets up this comparison between um, the world outside and the world inside. It does it through characters, but it also does it through spaces. And what I was struck by was how the offices of NCOM as a real kind of tower block, if you like, and the little cubicles are matched in the world of the... the Virtual reality by kind of cubicles, um, which play out like um, jails. What's the word? Cells. Prison cells. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, So when Jeff Bridges' character Flynn gets sucked into the video game world and he's on this kind of quest to find this particular document that will prove that he has invented a series of video games and he should be the CEO of this company or whatever, um, he gets suddenly co opted into a series of battles. And what happens is he becomes a prisoner. Um, I've written down Roman Empire. Yeah, and I've written *Knights of the Round Table*, mm-hmm. and I've and, and that sense of he's now part of a a, a group of people who must fight to survive, um, whilst at the same time him him his um, kind of partner Tron, who is the which which is the avatar or character for Alan in the real world, mm-hmm. um, and then Laura as well, who is also the lore of the real world. The three of them set out on a, a mission, one to survive the world of Encom, but also to try and find this document.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, that is right. Great. So I'll. Chris carry has on. looked at me like, so now you say some things, Alex, and and he's I'll right. Carry on. He's right to have done <laughs> I'll that. I'll carry on. But he, he misjudged my ability to do it. Okay. So um, <laughs> so what what this, this
1: film kind of does is yeah. it sets out this dichotomy between the outside world and and what what is effectively its digital counterpart. Um, that the world outside perhaps has a. Com- um, corollary in the in the world of the of the film. I can now talk a little. Oh, I've written down the rabbit hole because I was right. thinking Portal Quest. I
0: tell you what I was thinking about, and now now I'm now I'm prepared Sh- to say words, this is your so don't, don't worry, I'm back. Okay, um, good. Is that I was thinking about what the space is doing in terms of, and I thought about this about a lot throughout the movie in terms of science fiction versus fantasy. Yes. Um, and it's a boring debate, so I don't really want to do it much, but I'll, but I'll try and do it now. There's, a, there's sort of a lot of debate over science fiction and fantasy, whether they're the same genre or whether they're two completely separate genres. Um, George R. R Martin, author of Game of Thrones and, and, although, and other such ilk, yep. has basically argued that um, fantasy and science fiction are exactly the same. The only difference is the toys you're playing with. So with fantasy, you play with swords and dragons and with... Science fiction, you play with space guns and spaceships, but otherwise it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, others have argued actually that the, that although they overlap, they're very very different in that science fiction is about a sort of rational, um, a speculative rational engagement with issues of technology and scientific progress. Yeah. Um. So you know, uh, Jules Verne's *A Trip to the* uh, a Trip to the Moon* is a story about scientific progress about yeah. rocket ships. It's it's based on fact, You know, it's it's it. it, it, it Predates scientific actual actuality, yep. but it's very much interested in that process of inquiry. Whilst fantasy is actually about celebrating the impossible and the irrational, so they're two very very different things. And, and I and I couldn't help think about both of them whilst watching Tron, because on one level it's doing one, and one level it's doing the other. So on one level we get sucked into this world and it tries to allegorize things like cells, which I'm assuming must have pun must be intended, right? Uh, what do you mean, like kind of cells? Well, Pixel. Like cell. Pixels. yeah 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 like computer cells is that i mean i don't know anything about computers but that's a thing isn't it that's a, becoming abundantly clear yeah um, So it's like, not a thing no, no, so maybe not but no. um uh, but, but but certainly this idea of actualizing a computer space yes and then you've yes. got roman gladiators yeah um and all the and and, and we haven't even got onto the religious stuff Paul. i can't stand all this commotion what do you want i've come to communicate with my user
1: difficult proposition difficult proposition at best Why, I could be de res just for letting you in here. They hate this tower. They'd close it down if they dared. They keep me around just in case one of them wants to deal with the other world once in a while. Dumont?
0: My user has information that could... Well, could make this free system again. (laughs) No, really. Well, you'd have programs lined up just to use this place. And no MCP
1: looking over your shoulder. And you've been in the system as long as I have. you hear many promises, many reassurances, many brave plans. Please, Dumont. The guards are coming. Alex, I'm going to have to interrupt you there. Or given that this is a pre-recorded interruption, I'm going to have to interrupt myself. Uh, I want to talk about blog posts. And particularly, I want to talk about the kinds of people that we'd love to hear from to talk about this relationship between fantasy and animation. Sure.
0: um, I think that's a good thing to talk about. I assume we only want to hear from academics and people who work at universities. That's probably correct, right? We're we're those kind of people. You
1: could not be more wrong. Oh, really? While we are interested in a sort of scholarly approach, we're equally interested in practitioners. uh, Those who work within animation, those that work within fantasy cinema, um... How is How do you see those two things playing out? How do uh, how does fantasy work within the context of animation and creative practice? Equally, how does animation work for those that are invested in fantasy?
0: Right, okay. And what about fans? Would we want fans to get involved? Or again, are we pretty much uh, excluding them from the conversation?
1: Alex, you're barking up the wrong tree. Right, okay. We'd, lo- we'd love I to. Must, I it. must read the memos that yes. you sent me.
0: Visit the website, yeah.
1: fantasy-animation.org. We've been through this. Fans, we'd love to hear from you. If you dress up as fantasy characters, if you dress up as animated characters, if you dress up at all, do let us know. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, just, just talk to us about how, how you see fantasy. Um, fantasy, it seems, is for everyone. It's very popular. If you've been to a recent fan event, you're going to a fan event, you'd like to invite us to a fan event, do get in touch.
0: Yeah, okay. And how, how would they get in touch and what would they do if they wanted to write something for one of our sites?
1: Alex, you need to look at the website. Okay. There are many ways to do so. As I said, you can visit the website, fantasy-animation.org. You can follow us on Twitter at FanAnimResearch, or you can search for us on Facebook. We try and keep these things up to date. There's lots of information. So if you want to contribute to a blog post, you want to hear us again on a podcast, you want to join our mailing list, you'd like to talk to us about the kinds of characters that you dress up as, let us know.
0: Sounds good to me. What should we do now, then?
1: Let's, well, you're going to look at the website, and I'm going to get back to the show. Movies. Which characters refer to as well. Characters talk about um, the kind of Villigan of the... Of villi- villigan? Villigan! The, the Villigan. I was thinking of the word Gilligan for no reason, because okay. I don't even think that's a character. Villigan's Island? Yes, I was thinking about um, the villain Villain of the piece, Dillinger, Ed Dillinger. Right. Um, who in the real world is the vice president of ENCOM, and in the game, uh, or the ENCOM the, the mainframe, if you like, is this, um, I guess, sort of autocratic leader yeah, but he's not the master dictator, yeah he's not but the master he's actually controller. a puppet
0: dictator behind master it's control very Wizard of which is basically Hal or um uh skynet or yeah. or any other insert you know, the, uh, the, the 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 aliens from the matrix technological like, yeah. other so there's something but he he mentioned Dillin, dillinger
1: constantly mentions stuff about religion he 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 mm. Talk, I mean, he, he when he's talking to characters both in the real world and in the game he talks about um, stop trying to talk about religion and stop trying and and I don't know what it is there's something around I don't know whether this is because uh, I don't think Flynn has been kind of wronged but there's something as a sort of like limbo or per, like purgatory well there's this. that but
0: also there's <laughs> the issue of Finn Flynn 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 yeah Flynn you say it many um, times yeah. uh, Flynn is in a Flynn is a user yeah Um. So he is the maker of the programs. And there's this whole thing about being made and being being made by. Yeah. And, and who makes you and, and who decides your fate. And there's this sort of series of dialogue exchanges where Finn gets to... Flynn gets to decide... He doesn't get to decide his name in my head, apparently, but he does get to decide his own fate because he is a user whilst programs just do what they are told. Um, and there's this, you know, he has this line of dialogue where he's like, well, to be honest... I did it because I was told to do it. What you know, he created this. He's God to these people, right? He and there's this whole sort of Christ-like moment where he's able to almost Neo. He is the one being able yeah, to yeah. do things in the world that others can't do. Perform miracles within the world. He comforts um, a computer program before he before he dies. Uh, ram yep. um, and and all this sort of stuff. So there's all this kind of religious allegory going on there. Um, which is about mystification and, and, and faith and spirituality. And it's not like computers at all. It's yeah. about using computers as a way of talking about um, deeply sort of spiritual ideas.
1: So the role of the computer then becomes this rhetorically you know, the kind of rhetorical way of a way of talking about and I mentioned earlier on the film's relationship to visual effects and how it renders it kind of cu- comes in in the early period of, of visual effects which uh, scholars of special effects such as Michelle Pearson have written about in terms of two distinct epochs or eras the first is technicist and and the second is simulationist the first wave is or actually start probably best to start with the second wave simulationist is sort of the move towards realism when computers start to kind of play with what the real looks like but also try to simulate persuasively um kind of light and uh, the elements and things like this so um it kind of kicks off a little bit with Jurassic Park, but really accelerates later in the in the decade. This is for Pearson, I should say, Michelle Pearson's book. In in. Okay, so th-
0: this is computer animation being used to make things look, look really like there in the real world. Yeah, as right. they do to us. Yeah, yeah. Sitting... So almost to dis- to disguise itself. Almost. Yes, yeah, that classic. Um, oh, it looks so real, thing. Yes. Yeah, fine.
1: Um, but early in, in kind of wow. um, uh, Hollywood uh, effects, the uh, kind of competing or, or different impulse was was present, which is computers being used to render the virtual. So computers being used to render themselves. So Tron, obviously, yeah. 82, um, and then 10, nine, ten years later, um, Lord Moman and later on in the
0: ninety, kind of Johnny Mnemonic. But actually... But even like right back to sort of the ILMFs, ILM, uh, uh, L-I-M the the Lucasfilm yes uh, Industrial Light manage I-L-M stuff in Star Wars yes there's flat there's the computer animation dudes and they're right uh, the computer screens the simulation of the bombing of the Death Star and all this kind of stuff
1: so Michelle kind of talk. Pearson talks about this idea of electronic imagery, um, and so and you get it. You know, in, 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 in largely in science fiction, kind of science fiction uh, features. So she actually talks about um, Terminator Two, Judgment Day. So this idea of liquid metal. Um, so computer generated imagery, CGI, computer graphics, digital technology finds a home in the eighties, late seventies, throughout the eighties, and then early nineties. It finds a home in largely kind of science fiction. Uh, Cinema, because science fiction cinema kind of lends itself to that futuristic techno-futurism, kind of techno-futurist aesthetic where the computer is able to render cyberspace, in the case of Tron or the inside of a computer, it's able to kind of render wireframes and um, digital imagery, in the case of Lawnmower Man, uh, characters kind of plug into the system and the circuit and things like this. And this is gradually superseded this sort of technicist, um, techno-futurist aesthetic gradually gives way to a more simulationist register of realist kind of persuasive um, CGI so this is a really interesting example of a film
0: um, right so so if I can just, if I just can distill that so I've understood it yes we post Jurassic Park computers are used to try to make more and things, more, yeah. to make things that aren't computers. Yes. but before that, actually computers are used to try and make computers yes, exactly. on, on screen. So
1: suddenly digital imagery yeah. folds inwards on itself yeah. and renders itself. Yeah, yeah, okay, interesting. So um yeah and you get a lot of characters who yeah, yeah. as I said plug into the system. It happens in Law and um, where characters plug in and suddenly they're able to do things in cyberspace that they can't do. Yeah or even things like the Matrix right with that sort of the iconic green and that, the green yeah. I wonder whether that's the that's a kind of a moment within that techno futurist imaginary where where that's the kind of pivot point and actually Tron is as you mentioned earlier is very similar in some ways to the matrix in terms of the way that um, kind of code is yeah. represented and this sort of kind of dematerialized de- digital the dematerialized yeah. digital um, so Tron is an important important film because it really explodes this idea of what technology could look like and and how computer graphics could could make that possible. Um, it's not really interested in trying to persuade us, uh, in some ways, of the um, realistic nature of the imagery. Is they're supposed to be artificial and electronic um, because we're in a computer. Makes perfect sense. This is what this is what we're, we we are. For the film is taking us through the actions of Kevin Flynn into a mainframe, and so everything seems engineered and man-made and, and kind of geometric and has these kind of planar, flat surfaces and hard corners. Um, it's we're in we're in a video game.
0: Yeah, and I guess there's an interesting thing about materiality within that, right? In that the film is very bonkers, like, <laughs> to look at. Um, it's very bonkers. Very um, colourful, very yeah. Kind of
1: luminescent.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, but, but there's, I think what's, what's very jarring about it, in potentially a good way, um, is this, this weird floating materiality of this computer world, in that, yes, it's all computed. And Mm. computerized, but then you've got these real people running around in jumpsuits. Yes. Um. And there is a feeling of old-fashionedness almost to this. Watching it from our perspective. Yeah. And I guess it's that it's the computer imagery because it's so, because it's so invested in its own representation. It's so wanting to look like computer imagery. Yeah. It it looks like sprites. So it looks like a bunch of people dancing around with some screensavers.
1: I mean, you
0: know, I mean, I mean, it is that. Yeah, so it, it is that. So, so what that means is there's a flatness to all the imagery that contrasts very strangely with the with the photographed things that are going on.
1: But is that? I wonder whether that. So
0: I'm interested as to why they didn't make the decision to just render the people like that as well.
1: I mean, I guess one issue could be money as the answer to all these things. Could sure. Be. Um, and the other thing could be the kind of accessibility. If the, perf- I mean, okay. So the the there are. One of the holy grails, obviously, of rendering um, in computer graphics is the ability to simulate human form, and this film does it in the extent of the villain, the kind of master computer, is this large face that in no way looks like a face. But, it has rudimentary eyes in and, and so the technology, the technology, is kind of not there to nuance issues of performance, and so I, they rely on the human. But, but
0: I don't know. But I don't know if that answers satisfactory to me because, as you just said, there's nothing wrong. If you're making a film like Tron, yeah. there's nothing wrong with making humans that don't look like humans. Why can't they all look like computerized humans? Why can't they all look like the kind of humans that they were around in video games at that time? Is it because you know this is a film of an hour and a half and if
1: you're trying to sustain, I guess a, mo- a movie with tonal shifts and quite a jarring romantic subplot um, you yeah, could, you we can of, get
0: onto that at some point. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: Um, I, I, I wonder whether it's an issue of performance, and uh, that wouldn't that kind of flat performance or that kind of flat imagery to the characters wouldn't suffice for a film that has to uh, kind of retain our interests um, and take us through the peaks and troughs of a which, dramatic narrative. Which I guess which, I don't know. Yeah, no,
0: which, which I guess why well, there were that's because it was Alex's impossible question. Thank you. Week, but, um, ding ding, keeping score. Uh, Thanks for that. But it. I am. Um, Part of me, like part of me, knows the answer, which is it would look, it would look stupid. <laughs> it would look stupid to have a sort of Pac-Man version of yeah. of um, uh, of the characters running around in cyberspace. But but but, and it would look stupid. But at the same time, that kind of highlights a broader issue, and a, and the film doesn't quite have the strength of its convictions in the very imagery it's trying to celebrate. It doesn't think the computer imagery is cool enough. To just have a computer in yeah, or is it trying to suggest
1: a relationship between things that are things that matter, and I mean this in the non figurative mm. way when you talk about materiality. Yeah. The, the things that matter and the things that don't. Yeah. so the characters, the human characters that are in the game, yeah. that you, as you say main, uh, retain their humanity, they matter, whereas. Isn't the isn't the point that these kind of virtual sets are? We see them disintegrating. We see them. They are kind of impermanent, yeah. and they are um, kind of subject to change and transform and um, and kind of things like that. So there's something about how these the, the, the virtual space is something that could be at any moment dematerialized, and um, I think the phrase is kind of de- de-resing or de- de-resolution. That there's, they're going to. Um, be subject to de-resolution which means they sort of disintegrate and, and disappear so there's an impermanence to the sets in the virtual world because it's just a computer and, and man-made if you like um or human-made um but there's something about that the, the characters the avatars in the in the game themselves really matter so that when they die when so when spoiler alert mm. if you want to just so when ram dies we're supposed to be invested in that because his disintegration means more than the disintegration of the sets
0: yeah, I mean I like that. I'm not sure I believe it because I think you're fan- well, a you fantasist. Well, well, I think I do believe it in yeah. the sense that I think I think that is certainly the effect of the movie is that I don't care about any of the gizmos and yeah, yeah. worry images and all this sort of stuff and i and i feel somewhat bombarded by them after about 20 minutes of being in this world. Yeah. But I, but i guess what i'm saying is that that's, that that sounds very admirable as an ast- as an artistic aim to sort of create this <laughs> schism between yeah. the human that matters and the, the computer sprite that doesn't matter. Yeah. But the ultimate net effect of that is that this is com- that, that that means that a good 70% of this movie doesn't matter
1: or that it's made up of, of a different kind of materiality because one of the things that I, I I was kind of comparing it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit yeah. so, and the way in which what what causes animation to perish in Who Framed Roger Rabbit so a film that's made only six years after this and that we've talked about previously mm-hmm. on the on, the, on the podcast um, is the role of the dip so the dip is something that this is how you get rid of animation you dip it and the paint and the cells and ink runs away here there's a different kind of jeopardy uh, and so we have this de-resolution. This is how this kind of animation de resits or this is how this kind of animation perishes. So I'm wondering whether it's trying to tell us, the film's trying to tell us about technology. It's talking kind of metaphorically about digital technology. Um, it's giving us these virtual sets um, that are very uh, abstract and very geometric and very colorful and very luminescent. Um, but it's also, it's then telling us how how this kind of imagery is constructed, because there are bits where these three-dimensional objects kind of go back in time. They go through a, a portal and they become crude wireframe models. So it's 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 telling us. It seems to be kind of telling us about how digital technology is made. It's now no longer made through paint and and paint on cells. It's made through a kind of abstract, um, immaterial, floating, virtual ingraspable kind of I don't know there's something and maybe that feeds into
0: the nature of its worldhood perhaps. Um, So you're sort of saying that the um, the inconsequentiality is intentional as a narrative device as much as a... Yeah I mean
1: I get the I mean as a person who's interested in animation I quite like the way in which the film sets up the kind of spaces or the kind of space that a virtual space might be. Um, It might be subject to change um, it might disintegrate in a way that we've never really seen before. It's not material. It's not paint on cells. It's it's something that occurs in a kind of non-space or a um, uh, a space that is I don't know v- virtual and therefore ingraspable. I don't know. I'm yeah. riffing, Alex. Yeah. I'm no. no I know. I. Hashtag riffing.
0: I I I just think I think there is a essential paradox between that and obviously the more sort of Commercial aim of the movie, which is to celebrate absolutely, the imagery. I think it is, and I think it ends up almost not celebrating the imagery because you're you're wanting to get out of this computer world, and just go back where things make sense again. Um,
1: yeah, I suppose the characters. And themselves. I don't even just mean that narratively. The narrative <laughs> is a
0: bit sloppily sloppily told, but I don't really bother. Me. It more just like, after a while, you just don't get what you're looking at anymore because it's so. Is that not
1: part of it? Is the is the kind of. Um inability to grasp the geography you know, yeah. this film is not rooted in an establishing shot and then a breakdown of the space so that we, we have a kind of coherent understanding of the fictional world yeah. it's supposed to be like well if they enter that door where is that in relation to that and how does that is it supposed to And whether this is intentional or not but the way in which the ENCOM mainframe is created as a system it's supposed to be kind of quite confusing and geographically
0: Wonky. Right, and and yeah, but but therefore, but therefore, just because it's supposed to be doesn't mean it's good. No, Um, in the sense that it uh, doesn't mean it's bad. No, but I I guess I guess maybe it it clashes with this idea of um, of of the portal quest in that I guess a a basic pleasure that perhaps I'm unfairly looking for in this movie is this pleasure in in learning how the world works, and and if you're saying that the film. Denies that yeah. pleasure, and part of it is it's meant to be. It's not, it's not, because what, what you're supposed to do in Narnia is by the end of it work out what's north of Narnia, what's south of yeah. Narnia, where the stone table is, and all that kind of stuff. From the lamppost to Care Paravel, I believe, is the sort of the Narnian sort of uh, schema. Yeah. Um,
1: so this is a film that you could attribute a Portal Quest kind of rhetoric to, but. It,
0: it but, but if you do so, some of the pleasures you're looking for by doing that are, are not there. Yeah. So the, the quest itself sort of in some ways reveals
1: nothing. And it, it maintains the facade or maintains the mystery of, of computer technology. Because the character goes in, comes out. And actually that's that's why I find when, when the narrative has resolved itself um, and we've gone through the final series of battles, um, and the characters resolve this little, you know, the, the equilibrium has restored, and then they return to the real world. They return to the w- real world for four minutes, and suddenly, the digital gives way, and we're we're back into the real world. And second spoiler alert: Flynn himself becomes um, ultimately the the he finds the the document that he needs through a kind of collective effort in the in the um, system. They find the document they need to prove that Kevin Flynn was in fact. Um, the designer of this, this game and he then becomes the kind of CEO and then that happens in about four minutes yeah. because the film isn't really interested in the framing story. It's interested in the in the main hour and twenty minutes yeah, of yeah, yeah. of them inside the inside the game. And that's why I find I did find the ending a little bit rushed and a little bit oh, so they're back out now and, and nothing is explained about what happened and and, and that's No but again back. but that,
0: that actually is quite reminiscent of, of you know, if you think about um well, if you think about the original ending of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland... Oh, I'm always thinking about it's, that, it's, Alex. it's about a page where it is Alice, oh, really? Alice wakes up and then he goes home for tea. Or if you think about the ending of the Disney adaptation, it's Alice wakes up and let's go home for tea. Okay. Or if you think about the ending of The Wizard of Oz, she wakes up in her bed, you were there, you were there, you were there, you were there, there right, no place like home. Is this a fairy tale then, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's, if it's, it is. Chris's impossible question, it number is, one. If it's a fairy tale, it's it's one hell of a sort of ludicrous fairy tale right. well it's not a fairy tale if, if, in the sense that it's not folkloric right um but 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 it but it, it, it you know i guess it has enough elements of those of 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 that sort of portal quest archetypal story that um but 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 i, I think that the, the schism we're talking about here is that i think that the reason those endings are so short is ultimately they're just an excuse to stop Mm. Um, they're an excuse I've always I've said this quite a few times and it remind me fantasy endings remind me very often at least sort of classical Hollywood fantasy endings remind me very often of melodra- melodramas certainly like the Douglas Sirk melodramas oh, so, so Douglas 1950s yeah and, and, he, and he's a sort of um, he's, he was a sort of maker of weepy melodramas um, very popular at the time um, critically derided but have now been reassessed as sort of being very very subversive Um, But they always have these sort of really strange, tacked on endings, which is like in the final 30 seconds, these absolutely irreconcilable differences between uh, the characters are suddenly uh, resolved in an unsatisfactory way, and we call them sort of fault face endings. The the best example of this is um, Bigger Than Life, the Nicholas Ray, uh, (laughs) where this character, played by James Mason, is is taking this uh, drug that turns him insane. He basically tries to murder his entire family uh, and then they knock him down the stairs, he wakes up in hospital, they take him off the drug and everything's fine again. Yeah. Um, I think fantasy, when told this way, has false endings. Right. Because the pleasure the pleasure of the... But what's the message of The Wizard of Oz? The message of The Wizard of Oz is no place like home. But actually the message of The Wizard of Oz is that there's somewhere way better than home. and It's called Oz, and it's in Technicolor, and it's cooler, and there's songs there, and you can do all these amazing things there. And the reason you sit down to watch The Wizard of Oz is not to enjoy Kansas and the yeah. shots of Kansas. Yeah. Um. So, so, so that it's a false ending. The, the the ideological message of the movie doesn't work because that's not what the pleasure of the movie is. So the pleasure of Tron then becomes the kind of technological aesthetic. Well, that's what I think the pleasure yeah. is supposed to be. Except I'm not. I don't find that very pleasurable. I find it actually very. Overwhelming and, and confusing. But maybe that's just because I don't understand what a, bi- a bite in a cell is, and I think that computers seem to be made of prison cells. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. um, but I wonder whether
1: for an audience in the 1980s and yeah. kind of, the representation of something that is still relative... You know, computer technology has been around since the 50s and 60s, yeah. um, but in very kind of basic terms. This, this gives it a sort of sense of... It's part, as you say, kind of... Um, uh, Roman Empire it's a bit of the Knights of the Round Table mm-hmm. but it's also like the Olympic Games sure. um, and and it's sort of yeah it, it tries to narrativise and kind of personalise um, what might be understood by the technological or, or it is this kind of weird push-pull as you said between keep maintaining the facade but then also trying to demystify it at the same time but I don't know. It's a, It's an interesting. That's why it's a, a kind of a moment well, film. That's
0: why I say I think it's it, it speaks of a culture that is is these computers have come along. On one hand, they're incredibly wondrous objects that seem to do all these things. On the other hand, they're scary and confusing and yeah. Uh, overwhelming. Yeah. Um. That that's the, I think the the film is absolutely... And films of this era, as I say, this is why I tie it with you know Terminator. It's a movie with great big special effects that's about the danger of computers. Blade yeah. Runner. It's a film with great big computerized special effects about the dangers of computers. And this is yeah. a film with great big special effects about narratively about the dangers of computers yeah um, but also the pleasure of computers he you know he doesn't he at least with the ending it's not like they all burn down the company and go back to living in the woods yeah. uh, they just change the company and make make it make computers work better for them I do think there is a
1: split between different kind you know the value of computers for leisure and computers yeah. for research and, and it is really important that Flynn is able and I guess to-
0: computers for control yeah that's the final one right? yeah. there's there's computers that Computers as tools is good. Computers... or well, computers that then threaten, so the master controller becomes... Yeah. To become, his, re- threaten to become users. Yeah,
1: so when the computers themselves obtain control, and he says something, I'll, I'll forget the, the exact number, but he says that even though the, the computer was designed, it's taken on a life of its own, this threat of AI, and he is like 2,142 times more intelligent than he, than he was. So there is, yeah, that sort of... Um, it's speculative, but tries to rein in the, This you know, computers are great and computer effects are incredible, but they need supervision and they need control. Um, I think with Flynn, he's interesting because he he's introduced not as a, well, he's introduced as a programmer at the start. And then we then see him playing on video games and he's able to then transfer his knowledge of certain computer games into the game. Or into the yeah. N-com mainframe and take so there's something around the yeah control the computer's relationship to control to to kind of leisure to research and science as a good as a force for good Alex yeah and, and I guess I guess this life. I
0: guess perhaps this is a way of trying to reconcile the tensions that come with digital technology if you've built it with your own two hands they it's controllable and yeah. it's manageable right if if you know there's a lot of scenes here of people using te- computers as sort of tools and mainframes and yes. and physical things that you have to push and pull and squeeze, like mechanical technology. If you're doing that, that's good, because you're in control of that. If you've built the thing that you're controlling from ground up, that's fine. But as the moment you don't understand the nature of the thing that you're using, basically the yeah. way 99.9% of us use computers, yeah. that's when the film gets anxious and queasy.
1: Um on the subject of being anxious and queasy, is it time? Um, I, well, I would. There is one. Well, there's one thing that we won't have time to talk about, um, and I don't know if I've got really anything to say about it. But it was a note that I made before we, we kind of say goodbye, uh, and that's the kind of role of synth music. Okay, uh, yeah. And the score of the film is very. It kind of feeds or complements the yeah. um, visuals as well. So this kind of synthesized. My reference point for early 1980s synth is the Bond film. For your eyes only, because it's the f- one of the first Bond sure. movies where the synth is being used kind of electronically, mm-hmm. um, which is a terrible reference point because that's my second Bond reference of the podcast, right, uh, and, um,
0: and a beautiful one it was too. Thanking I, you, I, I, but again, yeah, that, that synth score, the, yeah, the, the, the take, yeah, kind okay. of
1: artificial and man-made, and there's no these are all instrumental pieces, and this obviously dovetails quite nicely with with Tron Legacy, the kind of more
0: recent um, yeah. and, and the game, the same thematic thing. with yeah. are you the player? or are you getting played by the, the computer almost right yeah. you know are you, are you using the instrument and playing it or is the instrument replacing is the synth instrument replacing any sense of performance yeah. that's in the original. Well, thing. that's
1: back to the whole kind of debate around digital technology, which we've touched on in, you know, throughout is the, the role of a human in, in digital technology.
0: I'd like to mention one bit that I really liked. And then we really must and go. And then we must go. We must log off. It's just because hey. I've, I've moaned quite a lot about the world building going on here. And you perhaps, have. And perhaps unfairly, because as you say, I think there is something to your argument that it's not really going for that. But one, the one bit of what world building I really, really liked was the bite where you get this sort of uh, flash of computer uh, graphics uh, arriving into Flynn, and it's going yes, no, yes, yeah, no, yeah, and yeah. it says is that all you know how to answer? Yes, no, yes, no, and yes because it's a it's a digital sprite and therefore can only deal with absolutes yes and no. I have nothing to that's a, gra- just, you're it's just right. a lovely little that's bit a, great of, a lovely bit of a visualization of something that's actually very complex, but in a sort of cute way. Playing yeah. with the, the digital imagery as well, I, I like that bit a lot. Well, More of that would have been nice.
1: What well, the it's not about artificial intelligence. It's what happens when the artificial has any kind of sentience or. Um, that was kind of like nice, because he doesn't really have uh, Flynn doesn't really have visual spars with any other character yeah, in yeah, yeah. it's quite kind of dis- this film is not we, we didn't talk about the romantic subplot it's weird look it up well um, it's, it's
0: weird because because it happens uh, probably screen
1: time 20 seconds yeah, there's yeah, some yeah. strange the f- but again maybe this is the point is that the film isn't really interested in three dimensional human characters after all no it's interested in the one. and do of... you know what, what
0: I like doing about these podcasts the reason I like doing these podcasts with you Chris is because you can take a sentence like the film isn't interested in three dimensional human characters and that doesn't necessarily have to be a negative when it comes out of your mouth <laughs> um, and that's good Like, and that's that's uh, that's why you get paid the, the big bucks the mediocre bucks that we both get paid footnote um, yeah. not the big bucks yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we should uh, log off. I want to do log the, joke off the again. grid Let's log off. Uh, log off the grid and and put the computers down for, for, for the day. Um, thanks uh, to everyone for listening and and for wading through Tron with us. Uh, thanks to Chris. Thank you, um, to Alex. And we will um, see you next time. Bye.